Scripture reading this morning will come from Psalm 144. Uh, In your pew Bibles, which should be in a chair in front of you, near you, if you don't have a Bible of your own, that's page 524, Psalm 144, starting in verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners." whose mouths speak lies, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O Lord. Upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full-grown, Our daughters, like corner pillars, cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure and bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. So this Christmas morning, we finish the Advent series, even though Advent has ended, looking at this royal psalm, Psalm 144, which is obviously of David, but also is pointing forward to a new and better David. The theme is Advent Refuge. We're looking at this through the eyes of David who needed a refuge often in his life. And this is going to be a lens of past redemption, present rescue, and future renewal. Through the eyes of David's need of his father to once again give him refuge. The past redemption in the first four verses, we have to ask the question firstly, what is that? What is it referring to? The first couple of verses tell us what this past redemption is in detail. God has been David's redeemer. And then there's several things that are described of God. He has been his rock, his steadfast love, his fortress, his stronghold, his deliverer, his shield, and that one in whom he takes refuge because he has already subdued people for David. That's a pretty long list. A very, very competent list from David's past experiences of past redemption. What is this pointing us toward, though, with regard to God's character? All of these obviously are speaking of His 
faithfulness, his trustworthiness, especially in the face of prior trials. This past redemption has already come about tangibly for David in salvation. Most likely, these, uh, this song, In Present Need of Trouble, is reflecting back on Psalm 18, verses 1 to 2. It's very, very similar in description to some of the verses in Psalm 144. What was happening in Psalm 18? As I mentioned last night in the homily from Psalm 22, David was often physically fleeing for his life early on in his reign. If you know First and Second Samuel at all, First and Second Chronicles, King Saul hated David, and he tried to kill him, and he ran him off into caves. Many of the Psalms of Lament from David are him physically fleeing for his life. And here, he's reflecting to say, you saved me from that. You have been my deliverer. I couldn't deliver myself. You have been my rock and my fortress. You have been my steadfast love, which is so rich in the original language to say it's a never-ceasing, never-stopping, forever faithful love. We can hardly even translate the word properly. And David is saying, that's what you've already been for me. I have not forgotten that. But why was there a past redemption in David's life? Verses 3 through 4 will tell us. It's because God came down to David voluntarily. Look at David in verse 3. He says, O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Those are kind of rhetorical questions. God is so holy. He's so faithful and trustworthy. He has no business being in a relationship with any of us, including King David. And so after reflecting on the past redemption, he is reminded again, I've done nothing to earn this salvation, this relationship that I already have with you. I could have done nothing. God had to do something. Verse 4 continues, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. God, we are not worth your time. And yet, there has already been past redemption. The Westminster Confession, we, we looked at this chapter on the covenant last Sunday night in leadership training. And they used that turn of phrase that a covenant is a voluntary condescension on God's part. There's a lot to unpack. God does not have to have a relationship with David. God didn't have to have a relationship with Adam. God didn't have to create anything or anybody. But He chose to. Voluntarily. But for him to do so, and for him to enter into a covenant relationship with Adam, or Noah, or Abraham, or Moses, or even David, took a condescension on his part. 
and he did so voluntarily. That's why there was past redemption in his life. That's why there has been past redemption in your life and in my life. Not because we earned it. Not because we're smarter than other people, or we're better, or we figured it out, or we convinced the Lord to love us. He voluntarily chose to. Even though verses 3 and 4 are true of all of humanity, it's so much more worse than us just being like a passing shadow. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins, according to the Apostle Paul. We can't earn His favor. We don't want His favor. But He made a covenant, a voluntary, condescending relationship on His part to King David in 2 Samuel 7, that there would be an offspring of David's that would rule over his house forever. And Matthew 1 tells us exactly who that is. And that is the Lord Jesus in His being born. He voluntarily condescended into our humanity. But that He would bring redemption. That He would be humiliated by even being born, living as a man under the weight of the law, keeping all of the law perfectly for you and me and for all of our sins. Thanks be to God, that is our past redemption and it wasn't based on us. Praise the Lord. But that is something that David is reflecting on here in these first four verses. What a wonderful God he has. What a past redemption. What's the point of all of that? Part of it, is that as we shift to verses 5 to 11, there is a present need of rescue. Yes, David became a Christian and he still had problems. He still suffered. He still had affliction, as we saw in detail last night from Psalm 22. There is a present need of rescue even though there has been a past redemption and salvation. So here, in verses 5 to 8, and maybe even verse 11, we see another request by David for present rescue. Here in the present, David finds himself in need of yet another request for rescue. As all of these verb tenses change, the language is good because in verse 5 it says, Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. The past redemption causes David to turn to the Lord for present rescue. Very profound. He knows that God is trustworthy. But he also knows that there is no hope apart from him. Because of what he's already experienced in the past redemption. Verse 8 tells us that there are people speaking lies about him in other nations. You think about King David in the land of Israel. He has tribes and nations all around him coming in and out of their boundaries. We saw last night in Psalm 22, there are people who mock him for trusting the Lord. And here we see something very similar. There's a pattern and a theme to being a believer. That there will be present difficulties present stresses and struggles, and yes, even persecution. Seen in verse 8, and also 
That is echoed in verse 11, where he again cries out for another request, Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. That's basically copying verse 8. There's the pattern there. There are people who don't like me. And they don't even say the truth about me. They're wrong, God. You have redeemed me in the past. Rescue me now. David is praying for God's full weight of justice in his kingdom to come down. As we looked last summer, 18 months ago, at the Lord's Prayer, which we liturgically say every week, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's what David is singing in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of his problems and his struggles. I love this quote from Old Testament scholar Alec Mateer. Past mercies do not breed a leave-it-to-the-Lord complacency, but a take-it-to-the-Lord urgency. There's an urgency from King David to say, I know you, Lord, as my rock, my deliverer, my fortress, because I know you as those things, I'm coming to you now. Not to test you, but because I know you. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. My present circumstances don't deny those realities, although my lack of faith might. He makes another request for present rescue in humble Christian obedience, not faithlessness, which is shown in verses 9 through 10 because in his need of present rescue, there is continued worship. Not a ceasing of worship during suffering and stress and difficulty. Interestingly, mashed in the middle of all of those verses that we just Looked at, David says, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. As we know, many of us, uh, David was a singer-songwriter. He played guitar. He didn't put the guitar away when he was chased into a cave by a king, speaking lies about him. The worship continued. His faith in the Lord continued. Because it wasn't ever built on his circumstances. Or how he felt the Lord felt about him. But about what the Lord had already done for him. In the past redemption. David knows. He not only owes this worship to God. But that in his present need for rescue. There's nothing he needs more to do than to worship. I won't go um, into this a whole lot, but I saw various articles um, nitpicking with different people and pastors and elder boards, whether or not they were going to worship on Christmas Day, on, on Sunday. Now, it was interesting as I was looking at Psalm 144 this week and looking at verses 
9 and 10, as David is being pummeled again and again and again from the outside by foreigners who claim falsehoods, by even insiders like King Saul who chase him into caves to kill him, he worships not out of duty or roteness, but that's the only way he knows he will survive. Spiritually, he needs to worship. It's what his God wants him to do because it's what his God knows is best for him. A focus on our justification, on the work of the cross, that's always going to be the focus. Not simply so that we can remember and reflect. It's always for that. But as we look at our present problems, our present circumstances, which are often not right in this world, and there is a need for rescue and deliverance, where do we look to for hope? Back to the cross, where it lays empty. Back to the tomb, where it's been conquered eternally. Future renewal. Future hopes. Verses 12 to 15. I will not be the one to welcome us into the new year uh, next Sunday, but this one is kind of a, a new year's thought because David, even amidst his present need for rescue, is already thinking aspirationally about, about the future, about his own family, about the, the nation itself. And as he's thinking about those things, verses 12 to 14, he's thinking about total renewal in the future. These verses really are a prayer from him for future renewal, hopefully for the totality of it. Verse 12 speaks of uh, the family with boys being like full-grown plants. Daughters like corner pillars to a palace. Both of them reflect uh, strength, stability, a patient, persistent parenting over years of care. But it's not simply selfish family uh, prayers, but for the sake of the future of the kingdom as a whole in Israel. And then verses 13 and 14 shift to business and economic stability in God's kingdom. He talks of grain, he talks of sheep, He talks of cattle, prayers for their family, prayers for their economic well-being, the the total peace and shalom of the kingdom to be brought down on earth as it is in heaven. That's his prayer, even during the present need for rescue. That's his focus and that's his goal but verse 15 tells us why. It's, it's not so that he can just be fat and happy and rich with no suffering. How could we think he would mean that after what we've just talked about in his whole life? Verse 15 gives us the reason for the hope of the future renewal. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. We can have hope for these things for our family, for our future prosperity, even during times of difficulty where we actually need rescue and we don't see these things presently. 
Because we know eventually it will happen. But for who? It says, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. David is not praying a prayer to say, blessed are those who are wealthy, who don't know the Lord. Blessed are those whose children they have not buried yet, who don't know the Lord. Blessed are those whose children are healthy, but don't know the Lord. None of that matters. The key is very end. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. You can have this type of future renewal hope, even in the midst of not seeing it presently and in need of rescue, because that's what's eventually going to happen. There will be total future restoration and renewal in the second advent of Christ, because there was a first where He came down. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we long for the hope of renewal, for all things to be made right, for families to have provision and strength and stability in totality. But Lord, what prevents those things is our sin. And Lord, you entered the world to take away our sin, to give us eternal life. And while you have already done that, Many of us have a present need of rescue. Many of us have a strong palpability for a future need of renewal. We look for that in the year 2023. But Lord, we do not look for it in the outer things of this world. We look for it only in you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.